Welcome, Phoenix fans, to another episode of The Burning Burn. I'm Steve Leiner. I'll be doing the color commentary for the Philadelphia Phoenix on AUDL.TV once the season starts. I'm joined by my regular partner in crime and everybody's favorite Phoenix personality, Alexander Shaggy Shragus. Shag, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing great. It makes me feel better every time you say that I'm everyone's favorite. I really enjoy it. Well, Shag, your explain the games have been absolutely tremendous, man. You're you're you're, you're you've been killing it. Yeah, thank you. I can't take a lot of credit for that, but I'll take that exactly that amount. <laughs> well, you, you've been, you, you not only that, but your burning bird, the Phoenix Files. You've been the face of the franchise during this whole bleak the, the downtime, and it's been uh, pretty cool what you've been doing. Thank you. Well, if nobody has to play ultimate, I look really good. Once the ultimate starts, though, I think I'll fade into a uh, on the back burner. Well, as as it should be, Shag, as it should be. <laughs> <laughs> but we we are we are joined in this episode by the Phoenix's first ever team head physician, Dr. Summer Hamoud. Dr. Hamoud, thank you for joining us on the Burning Bird. Thanks for having me. Uh, Doc, uh, thank, uh, what what school did you go to? Um, so I grew up in Southern California. I'm a California girl, and uh, I went to uh, UCLA uh, for undergrad. And you and you were a Division One college athlete there. Yeah, so I was recruited there. I played uh, um, soccer on the women's uh, team for the first two years that I was there. Um, I was uh, a starter for both of those years, and um, you know. I did fairly well. Um, I was the Pac-10 freshman of the year my freshman year, and I was a team captain my sophomore year. But um, it was kind of hard to keep up with uh, school, and my grades kind of slipped a little bit those first two years. And so um, I knew I wanted to be a physician, and so I, I made the difficult decision to stop playing because I, I wanted to do better in school, actually. Um, so, unfortunately, I stopped after that, which was really upsetting because they ended up making it to the final four my senior year. Um, so, that was um, that was unfortunate, but uh, it was the right decision overall. Everything ended up great. Do you ever wonder what the uh, road less traveled would have been if you'd stuck with it and now you were playing for, like, the NWSL or something? <laughs> I'd much rather be doing what I'm doing right now <laughs> than doing that. Although, you know uh, – Every once in a while, I, I do wonder uh, if I had ever been able to make it to the U.S. Women's National Team. Obviously, I adore that team. I watch them very closely. Um, uh, I get emotional when I see them play. It's really amazing. Um, and I, I did what a lot of soccer players know growing up is the Olympic Development Program. And my senior year of high school, I made it onto the national team. They kind of whittle you down to your state regional and then ultimately national and I, I had this opportunity to go to Florida and, and where the national team uh, trains. And, you know, to be honest with you, that, that kind of, you know, sealed the coffin because I, I just really couldn't imagine my life just playing soccer all day, all night. Um, I, I didn't find it to be super fulfilling for myself. So um, it was a good experience because it really told me that I, I, I wanted to be a physician. I wasn't going to sacrifice that for, for soccer. That's, I guess, the moment when you made up your mind, but when did you first know that you wanted to be a physician? Oh, I mean, kind of one of those things where I can't really remember when it started. You know, I felt like it was very, very young. Uh, you know, I can, like, independently, like, remember thinking in high school that I knew I wanted to be, like, a pediatrician, uh, possibly, because I loved kids. Um, 
but um, but the first moment I, I thought of being a physician, I can't remember. But I always knew I wanted to do something where I was helping people every day. Yeah, I can imagine. And then yeah. at what point did, did you decide instead of pediatrics you were going to go into sports medicine? Um, so I think um, part of that was actually my experience at UCLA. I, I never had a major uh, injury, which is kind of the cliche with a lot of orthopedic surgeons. Um, but I did think to myself, how awesome would that be to be able to be a physician? Because, you know, obviously we had our physicians who were on the sidelines and that we'd see in the training room and things like that. And, and I thought, you know, obviously how awesome to be able to still be around sports but be the physician taking care of the athletes. Um, so, so that's really when my desire uh, to potentially go into orthopedic surgery and specifically sports medicine started. But it, it really kind of uh, affirmed itself when I was in medical school and I got to experience the different uh, fields of medicine. So I guess you never suffered a major injury, but if there's stuff that you did or your teammates did that now looking back on it, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe we did that. That was so reckless. Um, I mean, I always look back at how much, you know, weight we lifted in the weight room, you know. Um, I, I, I just looked at that more from a, a sports advantage. My, my, my uh, position was uh, outside wing, so I was, I'm a sprinter. I, I ran the entire game up and down the field. And um, it, I think it kind of slowed me down a little bit, kind of bulking up like that. But uh, I don't think that was reckless at all. Um, no, I can't. From an injury standpoint, I, I, I don't know. We, we were pretty good. <laughs> Maybe I was particularly. Um, I was really serious about and dedicated about being, you know, fit and, uh, you know, healthy. Um, so I, I took it all very seriously. But, and you're also one of the top teams in the country, right? I imagine that there are a lot of people in the program that are – pushing you to make the right calls also. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that really, uh, you know, and again, if, if I was at a, a lesser program or one that wasn't as serious, you know, I probably could have managed the school and the soccer, but but as most Division One athletes will tell you, uh, when you play a sport uh, in college, it really, it's, it's like a whole nother job that you're tackling in addition to school. Um, it, it's very time intensive. It's physically exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. There's a lot of travel involved. Um, so, so it's difficult. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I tip my hat to those Division One athletes that can go through all four years and still maintain great academics. I think it's it's a really impressive feat. Yeah, I mean, you saying all this is another reason why I'm thankful that uh, the governing body of Frisbee isn't the NCAA. Because in addition <laughs> to the fact that they would never would have let me play in college, I think that uh, I don't know if I could have handled it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it really is challenging. So. You know, I, I certainly couldn't handle it, so so uh, that's saying something. I don't know. How much uh, experience do you have with the with Ultimate? So I, I don't have any experience um, with Ultimate. Um, so so I got involved with Ultimate because um, Christina and I were together on the uh, mainline today Power Women for 2019. So uh, we were part of a group of women that were recognized. Um, uh, for doing things in our fields that was kind of changing those fields and progressive in a way. Um, and so that's how I was introduced to her. Um, and she uh, approached me to fill this role. And um, I started researching Ultimate after, uh, after that moment, honestly. I didn't know much about it other than I had treated some uh, 
patients, obviously, who, who play Ultimate. So I was familiar that Ultimate was pretty big in this area because um, I've had a lot of patients um, who play. Um, but I'd never really looked into it. Um, and then when I was looking into it and I saw that really it kind of looked very much like soccer, <laughs> I said, I, I can get get into this. <laughs> so, yeah. Have you gotten a chance to watch many games? I, I watched videos. Um, mainly, right. I mainly watched. Um, so I, I did. I, I tried to learn some of the rules. So I've, I've watched some videos going over rules. Um, and then I've watched some uh, highlight reels. Specifically of the Phoenix. I mean, you know, I wasn't really looking up other teams. <laughs> what was what's your initial impressions of Ultimate? You know, like I said, it really kind of it makes me reminisce about soccer. It, you know, out on open fields, um, the the formations look look really similar. Obviously, it's a different. I mean, it's like a sport. You know, I myself probably would have gotten into if it was something um, around me when I was growing up. When you look at it now. For me, it's funny that you say it's like soccer because you played a uh, very difficult soccer position uh, at an extremely high level, and I played. I was a defender in high school, which is not nearly as high a level or as demanding a position, and so I didn't find it to be at all like soccer. Do you think that the uh, the lifting is is similar? That you think that um, that ultimate players should try to be a little leaner so they can run longer, or that uh, there's so much jumping and contact that they still need to bulk up. So, so that that's a good point. I think just you know, like soccer, um, you know, I think that you need you need to be able to stand your ground. Obviously, if you go and, and in ultimate, tell, so tell me again, the, in ultimate, when you're um, going up against someone, is it similar to soccer in that you can go shoulder to shoulder? What's the contact that's allowed? Well, in the yeah, you can go shoulder to shoulder. Um, there's probably a little bit more hand fighting that's allowed because you're calling your own fouls. And in that moment, I think that people are more likely to miss uh, something that is a foul. You're not really supposed to push anyone, uh, but right. a good amount right. of pushing happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think it all has to be balanced right? um, with the demands of the sport in general. Um, in soccer, you know, if, if you don't have kind of the leg and upper body strength, um, when someone's up against you, you're going to get pushed, you know, very legally right off the ball, um, you know, and, and beat in that manner. You have to be able to, you know, get your position in the box, um, you know. So you need some amount of strength. But I, like I said, it needs to be balanced with the demands of running, um, just like how gymnasts are very lean in order to be able to, you know, fling themselves up into the air and do just amazing acrobatics. Um, but you have to be uh, lean and your, your, your muscle to um, weight ratio needs to be uh, ideal. Um, and so when you look at professional soccer players, which I think is relatively similar to ultimate from like a physical demand standpoint, they're very lean players. They're, they're not bulky players. So, Yes, I think that weightlifting is important, but I think it's important, you know, to do so and not really add additional weight that's not necessary. Mm -hmm. So, uh, keeping with that, I, who have no training and have no idea what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. um, was under the impression that uh, that part of the reason that ultimate players lift is to build up not mass necessarily, but muscles and tendon strength in the knees. 
that we're not hurting ourselves. I mean, Steve, you're more even more familiar with knee injuries than I am because I have been very lucky in the knee front. But what's a way that uh, I, I guess we can protect our knees and ultimate without adding all that additional mass? Right. So, so what's really interesting when you talk about um, knee injuries, and, and of course the most common knee injury that that people talk about in cutting and pivoting sports is ACL tears. Um, so when when you look at ACL tears and you look, there's actually um, very well published ACL prevention programs um, that kids, um, you know, from the age of 12 uh, and younger can do, um, and adults can do, and there is uh, very good published literature studying it and its effects, and it can reduce the incidence of ACL injury by about 40%. Um, the point being, it can be very, very effective. But if you view an ACL prevention program can be carried out just with some cones, and they really don't require any weight you don't need to be in a weight room in order to effectively reduce your risk of ACL injury. It's much more about um, what, we, what we refer to as neuromuscular control. Um, and the simple way of saying that is like how your body moves in space or the balance that you have. So in ultimate, for instance, things like the, the common maneuvers that you do in ultimate um, that could result in ACL injury are surprisingly, uh, contrary to what most people might think, are not the things that involve contact with another player. It's typically decelerating rapidly, uh, cutting and pivoting, and landing from a jump. Um, and so the aim of these ACL prevention programs is actually to improve your balance in these moments such that your knee doesn't go into kind of a knock need or inwardly rotating position, which is the position that puts your ACL at risk. So that stuff requires a lot of good core strength, glute strength, and just what we call neuromuscular balance control, um, things like that. So single limb balancing exercises, um, uh, uh, things where you are practicing cutting and pivoting and landing from a jump with good hip and knee flexion or bend, making sure your knees are kind of shoulder-width apart, um, they stay square underneath your hips and on top of your feet, that um, you kind of have what we call a soft landing um, versus kind of a, a hard landing where your legs are still stiff um, and kind of straight. Um, so it's really all of those things. So in order to protect yourself, you don't need to hit the weight room hard, but you do need to improve your balance and really working those muscles, uh, which are your glutes, your, your, your hip abductors, which help you balance your limb uh, underneath your, your uh, hip, you know, keeps your knee kind of square underneath your hip, and then really good core strength. Yeah, I'm not sure if I um, kind of confused you with all that. No, it made a lot of sense. It gave me a lot of things to look up. Uh, yeah. Steve, <laughs> Steve, if you had known all that, do you think you'd be, uh, you would have been doing that before your injury? Oh, no question about it. Um, yeah. I, I uh, blew out my knee playing basketball, uh, trying to cross-train for uh, ultimate, and I, came, I, I blew out my knee jumping, coming down from a jump. Exactly. And, uh, and I landed, my knee buckled, and that yeah. was the end of that. And uh they took uh, one third of my patellar tendon off yep. of, and made it my new ACL. Is that something that you would recommend doing nowadays, or was that something archaic they did in the in the late nineties that they taught you not to do when you were going oh. through? 
No, actually, you know, so not not all of my partners necessarily agree with it, but a lot of them do. Um, and uh, so, so, yes, the mainstay for me of treatment of high school collegiate professional athletes is the use of the patellar tendon. Um, it has the uh, best data. Um, and uh, when you look at the, um, the large studies um, that look over multiple surgeons, um, so you get tens of thousands of patients in these databases, um, the data is starting to trend towards showing a lower chance of retear with patellar tendon autographs or use of your own patellar tendon versus, for instance, your own hamstring. Um, so then that's relatively recent. Um, many of us have kind of always felt that the patellar tendon was a better graft, but there is some data coming out that more strongly supports that as being maybe the better graft option. Certainly for young athletes, we always recommend that they use their own tissue um, versus using um, donor tissue or a cadaver's tissue. So someone, you know, passes away and part of what they donate are their patellar tendon, uh, their Achilles, their hamstrings, and we can use all these various tissues to reconstruct an ACL. But we really um, don't like to do that in young or very active people because it, it just uh, has a lower chance of repairing if you use your own tissue. Hey, Shag, I think that was that, that was a medical professional calling me a uh, a collegiate and professional athlete back in my day. Just exactly. To, uh, just, uh, just, just letting you know, for like, because they they did they did choose that option for me. So this further <laughs> this further reaffirms the myth, Shag. It further reaffirms the myth. Myth and the legend. <laughs> Doctor Amud, Christina's really impressive, and she's really really good at. Uh, getting Steve and I to do whatever it is that he wants from the special yeah. team. What did <laughs> what did she say to you to get you to uh, to get you to be like, yeah, I'm on board for this? You know, I think that Christina was very interested in, and excited about uh, having a woman um, who was, you know, well qualified and um, in the area and already took care of high level athletes. And so I think for her, the ability to elevate someone who's a relative, you know, minority in the orthopedic world um, to a position of a head team position was really kind of satisfying for her. Ultimately we met and we enjoyed each other. I really liked her, um, and I, I like the way she thinks about what she wants to do with the Phoenix. I mean, she has really big goals. She wants to take it to the next level, um, and I'm totally on board with the way she thinks and the way she operates. Um, so I think also when we met each other and talked about things, you know, it kind of affirmed that, that we would make a good team together maybe elevate the, the Phoenix organization and really bring the athletes really high level, you know, medical care um, um, and just kind of, you know, bump it up to the next level, so to speak. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I was really just meeting her. I was sold, you know, very quickly. She, she's very engaging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how she gets you. <laughs> That's how she gets you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh my word! 
Uh, hey, Dr. Hamoud, uh, you you worked for uh, the NFL and for Major League Baseball and for the MLS. Can you talk about the teams you worked for and, and which one was your favorite? Oh, so, um, so when I was a fellow at Mass General Hospital in Boston, I was able to help take care of the Boston Red Sox, the uh, MLS Revolution. I took care of a Division III uh, college there, Curry College as well. Um, uh, I obviously loved taking care of the revolution because it was soccer and it was my sport, but I have to admit the Red Sox were definitely my favorite. I, I spent the most time with them. I loved Fenway Park. Um, the players were really amazing. Uh, the staff, uh, the medical staff were amazing. Um, they really welcomed me with open arms. The players were engaging. They never made me uh, feel um that I shouldn't be there. They they were just really awesome, uh, and I just had an amazing experience with them. Um, again, I had never really been into baseball prior to that, but uh, I I became a fan um, uh, being able to take care of them. So that was really a fun time, very memorable for me, um, working with my colleagues there, and uh, I got to travel with the team a couple of times. We even actually came here to the Phillies um, while I was uh, with with them uh, for that year. And that was a lot of fun. Um, so, so yeah, that, that was definitely something that was really amazing. Um, as far as the NFL, I have not been involved directly with the NFL in terms of taking care of either the uh, Patriots is where the medical uh, group that I was with up at, at Mass General uh, take care of the Patriots. That's something that I have not done yet. I do help take care of the Phillies, and I, I cover probably around somewhere around eight to ten games in the season. Obviously, the season hasn't started yet, um, but I, I really very much enjoy that. That's a very uh, it's a wonderful um, uh, organization, um, and again, I, I found. Um, both uh, baseball teams that I've worked with, um, uh, the players to be really fantastic and the athletic training staff and the medical staff and coaching staff to be really, really amazing. So I've had great experiences with both of them. Um, my, my main other uh, role that I, I uh, do uh, right now is I'm the head team position for St. Joseph's University Athletics. Um, and so uh, that really is my main other role now uh, outside other than the Phoenix. And then uh, the other roles I do are more assisting, really, my colleagues in this. All right. Well, uh, Shaggy, you got anything else for Dr. Hamoud? No, I, that was really fun for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. What about you, Steve? Uh, no, I think that's uh, that, that pretty much covered everything that I had. I mean, uh, I just uh, I wondered how I uh, – how a California uh, girl that you just so eloquently called yourself, uh, how how you ended up over here in Philadelphia? Oh yes, you know. So uh, after a uh, college at UCLA, yeah. Um, I, I really, honestly, probably I was dying to stay at UCLA for medical school, um, and uh, I, I just didn't get in, which <laughs> I was really pissed about at the time, <laughs> um, and. Um, I basically, you know, I, I've kind of always been this person that I just really want to go to the best possible program that's going to set me up for the next level of success. And so out of the programs that I got into, um, I I chose Johns Hopkins because it's just, you know, it's just one of the best institutions, you know, medical institutions in the nation. 
And um, so I, I went to train there for medical school, and essentially the East Coast kind of sucked me in after that. So, you know, after medical school, I went to New York uh, to the hospital for special surgery for my residency and then up to Boston for uh, my fellowship. And, you know, I met my husband when I was in New York, and he's an East Coast guy, and um, uh, he's, you know, his his line of work really in pharmaceuticals is more – there are more opportunities for him on the East Coast. And basically, we just kind of tried to find jobs that were – close to one another and um, really all those jobs are really in the East Coast. So, um, I mean, that's really kind of, you know, the long and the short of it, you know. Um, And then I I was just really fortunate, honestly, to land here at the Rothman Institute. I mean, it's it's really just, it's an amazing group, um, wonderful people, um, and just, you know, the best of the best. So, I, I'm really fortunate. I'm really happy, um, and uh, you know, I, I'm sure I'm here for the long haul. Yeah, but the surf, the, the surfing's not the same, right? The what? The surfing. Yeah, the sur- I listen. Jaws ruined me. You know, the, you'll never catch me in dark water. <laughs> <laughs> so unless we're in Miami, I, I'm not getting on a surfboard. <laughs> I got you. No, I don't blame you. I don't yeah. blame you. All right. Well, for uh, Alexander Shaggy Tragan, for Dr. Summer Hamoud, I'm Steve Leinert. Thank you for joining us for an, uh, another episode of The Burning Birds. <laughs>